Hi, and welcome back to our podcast, Captivated Audience. My name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lindbergh. We have a really exciting podcast today, and it's coming from Down Under. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Or should I perhaps say good day? Rachel, could you give us a little bit on uh, your background and what you do for a living? And we heard that you're based out Down Under, but it's a big country. So where are you based? I'm based here in Melbourne in Australia and I'm coming to you from uh, my home office. We are currently in isolation. A bit about my background, I'm currently a partner at a boutique uh, regulatory compliance firm here in Melbourne called Murray Waldron Consulting. We specialise in anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing compliance. We've had a practice uh, now for approximately two years and before that I worked in two of the major four banks here in Australia in financial crime compliance and risk management across mainly risk and governance areas of those banks, so in the second line. Prior to that, I worked at the uh, Australian Securities and Investments Commission for approximately eight years. So I've seen both sides of the fence and, and now in consulting, which I'm loving. But a lot has happened over the last, I'd say, five years around risk management. What are some observations you're making in terms of how it's applied or importantly how it should be being applied in the financial sector out there? Yeah I mean risk management's really matured across all facets of financial services. Our main focus is on um, the anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing and whilst we fit into that risk management and compliance framework you know we, we have our own special nuances as well and pleasingly the AML CTF maturity in the last four to five years here in Australia has um, grown as well. We've seen a lot more action from our regulator, um, which really focuses the mind of boards and senior management. And whilst traditionally we may have been about four or five years behind our Northern Hemisphere counterparts and banks, I think we're now you know, making up good ground and it's certainly a real focus for organisations now. Particularly, you might have heard of the Royal Commission into the banking industry, which finished up last year. Certainly, it's taken a lot of you know, focus to risk management um, and compliance generally. You touch upon risk management. And coming back to my, one of my favorite topics ever is transaction monitoring and the use of data. I'm sorry for, for you people listening in and hearing me always saying, you know, data, data, data. But it is essential, I would say. Coming back to that and just talking about a little bit on transaction monitoring, what's the lay of the land in, in Australia when it comes down to Austrac and their expectations? In relation to transaction monitoring, it's been very interesting in the current circumstances. I would say that transaction monitoring programs across the board have probably needed a little work. Organisations have tended to uh, put in place rules and perhaps not refresh them as frequently as um, they should, um, adopting their risk-based approach. With the current COVID-19 situation, our regulator here in Australia, Austrac, has actually come out with some, I guess, new rules uh, or new areas or vulnerabilities that organisations should be really focused on in this non-face-to-face or virtual world. So they've suggested to to reporting entities um, that they look at particular areas and tune their rules accordingly. And these include, you know, targeting government assistance programs, so scams, movements of large amount of cash as a result of the sale or purchase of illegal or stockpile goods, 
um, interestingly here in Australia, you may have heard we all rushed out and stockpiled toilet paper. One of the other areas that they've also um, done a lot of work on in the past couple of years and have also seen this as a potential vulnerability in the current environment is the exploitation of workers or trafficking of vulnerable people and the potential increase in risk of child exploitation as a result of restrictions on travel. Austrac has done a lot of work via their FinTel Alliance and their, their partners in the public-private partnership, which is the FinTel Alliance, on child exploitation and identifying the types of behaviours or transactions that give rise to that type of activity. Is there a tendency towards being more rule-based and risk-based monitoring, you think, in Australia still? That's a really interesting question. I think we still struggle with the risk-based approach. Um, it's always one of the, obviously, the cornerstones to any AML-CTF program. Identifying each particular organisation's risk is somewhat of a challenge. And so I think there has been a, a tendency, particularly in the small to medium-sized firms, where they may not have a lot of resources to deal with AML, CTF, and in particular, transaction monitoring. And to your point, Marie, where the data is not um, overly robust, then they do tend to just focus on rules. So they might take an off-the-shelf rule, implement that. They may have turned it on several years ago and may not have gone back to look at it. So I think um, some of the governance around transaction monitoring is probably something that you know needs some work. Touching upon that then, if you are to find suspicious activities or suspicious behavior, rule-based is not really going to be very helpful. And even though I think that from a government perspective, putting these amazing programs in place in, in finding the traffickers or the sexual exploitations or whatever, that's going to demand a lot of effort, I would say, due to both data and also our mindset and systems, right? Yes, I agree. And often outside of the large banks here in Australia, there's not that many resources to, to deal with those very prescriptive rule-based alerts that are being generated. Rachel, an important aspect of people's retirement savings in Australia is their superannuation. I understand that Australia has taken some measures to allow people to access their super early, but what kind of risks does that also bring in terms of what we call here in Europe, social engineering, or the manipulation of people to basically be defrauded from the, those proceeds? Yes, yeah, Sam, I guess what you're referring to is um, one of the government's um, recent initiatives in the COVID-19 crisis to allow people to access up to $10,000 of their superannuation in the current financial year and $10,000 in the next financial year to assist with hardship. Generally, people are not able to access any of their superannuation until they're over a certain age. And so this is a real um, change in government initiative to address the current crisis that we're in. But of course, it does give rise to the potential for fraudulent misapplication of superannuation and also the inability to monitor customers and understand what customers are doing, because who's to say what's unusual in this kind of environment that we're operating in? The regulator here in Australia, Austrac, has recently introduced a new rule to deal specifically with this, which allows the Australian Taxation Office to, who are monitoring or managing, I should say, the superannuation early access. Superannuation funds are able to rely on the Australian Tax Office who are administrating the early access applications to do the customer identification. 
So there's no SIP that's going to be required by the super funds um, and they can place a complete reliance on the taxation office. Of course, this will give rise to the potential risk that they don't know who they're dealing with and the transaction monitoring is obviously going to be a post-monitoring factor. Criminals will be aware that people will be receiving these large sums of money into their accounts. Have the banks thought about what that's going to mean in terms of to be able to monitor for possible misuse of those funds or misappropriation of those funds? Yeah, that's right. And I think the risk is twofold. The risk to the super funds, because they don't know who they're uh, necessarily dealing with, or the risk that the customer poses, or in fact, whether they're under any kind of influence to be withdrawing that by way of scam or elder abuse or like. And then, of course, there's a risk to the banks or the financial institutions that the money is going to be transferred into. So as you said, Sam, they need to be able to um, quickly detect whether or not that money is coming from a super fund and then what their customer is doing with it. Banks, financial institutions here in Australia, are having to be quite agile in terms of looking at what their rules are, what their risk-based approach is, how they'll deal with customers, even on a KYC or customer identification procedure, because we can't go into the bank these days. We are, you know, housebound or working from home. And so a lot of organisations are even having to look further into their AML risk mitigation to look at whether or not they are prepared to accept new customers from an online perspective rather than face-to-face. Touching upon KYC, when KYC is actually then performed for these payouts of the superannuation, how does that work? Well, at the moment, um, super funds are only required to form their KYC when there is a withdrawal of the money from the super fund. And I think we're going to have to see how that plays out and whether super funds can then go back and rely on what the tax office has done for you know future management of their AML CTF risk. So how does that play into the use of technology? I was thinking especially around uh, reg tech. What's the general feel about reg tech in Australia? From a general point of view, there's, there's a real push for reg tech to be used as solutions. We have been involved as a firm in a number of initiatives that have looked at how reg tech can be used to solve for some of the AML CTF issues. Uh, there's been a number of co-badged tech sprints, they're called, uh, between Austrac, our regulator, and RegTech Association, of which we're members. And they're looking at specifically at how RegTech can be used to address risk assessments, the risk-based approach, transaction monitoring, and enhanced customer due diligence. And where I see that this could be a real um, winner here in Australia is we've had a recent sort of rise of what we call neobanks. So a number of small banks that are started up from the ground. So they're not encumbered by legacy technology and large disparate systems that don't talk to each other. And so we're really looking for them to be users of these reg tech solutions. It's a real opportunity because a number of the the founders of these neobanks are from big banks themselves. And while there's a tendency to revert to type and implement large, large technology systems, with the opportunities now available for, from a reg tech perspective, we think this is a, a perfect time to be using reg tech as the solution to identify your AML CTF risks. How many neobanks are there actually in Australia at the moment, Rachel? Do you know? 
Uh, there's only a handful that, that are currently in existence, but importantly, there are about 15,000 reporting entities under the Australian AML CTF legislation. So that's where the real push to focus the reg tech um, solutions is. So rather than RegTechs looking to the major four banks, of which tend to have these legacy systems and you know technology that doesn't talk to each other, the real focus and the push is for the RegTechs to solve for the smaller entities, solve for the neobanks, and solve, solve for the small end of town, which I think is going to be the better opportunity for everyone. We did a podcast recently on Swedbank, and there was a fair bit of criticism by the Swedish regulator around whether or not they'd received accurate information from the bank. Has Ostrak said, look, you're just going to have to get it together and find a way to make sure that those reports keep coming in? I mean, what's the, what's the signaling you're getting? Um, even though Austrac has said that they're going to be working constructively and collaboratively with reporting entities through this, um, this period, there is still a very clear expectation that they're receiving these intelligence reports. So they're still emphasising the need for uh, suspicious matter reports to be filed, for transaction monitoring reports to be filed, even if behaviour is considered unusual after you know a, a period of investigation. Um, it's certainly still a focus for them. Um, and as I said, they rely very heavily on the intelligence provided by the financial services community. We know that Australia has suffered a vast deal of emergencies, especially in fires and all that. But do you see any changes on the environment right now that might be sort of like a silver lining to all this? Is there any effects? I do know that winter is coming, right? Winter is coming. Look, it's been a very hard and challenging summer for, for most of Australia. We had those terrible bushfires early on in the year. Um, and we've really, you know, embraced this um, social distancing and, and most of the country has now certainly adopted social distancing and is working from home to, to great effect. So we're really fortunate in that regard. You know, I think um, people have really adopted technology and, and going back to our conversation about reg tech, I think there's now more a um, willingness to, to work with organisations virtually whether they're here in Australia or offshore, it really, you know, I think it has opened up those sort of, or broken down those borders, if you like. It's been challenging because straight after the fires, there was a great big push for people to go to those smaller communities that have been hugely impacted by the fires and, and bring tourism to, to those communities and get them back on their feet. Obviously with social distancing now, Everyone's saying stay at home, stay away from these communities. I think one thing that will come out of it at the end of the day is people will travel more locally and Australia is a massive country and there's some amazing places to visit. So I think we'll be all having domestic tourism rather than taking long overseas flights. And on that note, if you would like to do as Rachel, partake in our podcast. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can reach out to us on captivatedaudience.eu or simply just drop us a line on LinkedIn. Until then, take care and stay safe.